exciting episode of really exciting the two half squad. I mean, really, really exciting. It should be. Really We're talking exciting. about exciting. Very exciting. And this is dedicated. I, I would like to dedicate this episode 100 percent, or you know, as close as we. You're gonna come real close real tonight, close. because it's not just us, Jeff. No, it's other guys that like to talk about talk about ASL. So there'll be less banter. If you're here for the banter, you've come to the wrong place on this show. Watch, listen to any of other our other shows. And listen to them multiple times. Yeah. And donate. And please donate. <laughs> Give till it hurts. <laughs> but we. I'm sure there'll still be some banter. Yeah. Well, hey, who, who, what voice who was, was that? that? Who's that? Somebody's sneaking in on us that we've got a special episode tonight because we have not one guest, but two guests for the price of one. Count them. Two. 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 Coming to us banter? all the way Did from. Did somebody say banter? <laughs> Coming to us all the way from Downers Grove, Illinois, Mr. Rich Spilkey. Say hello, Richard. Take a bow. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. The dulcet tones of Rich Spilkey. And coming to us from the far left coast, if you're still there, Dennis, come in. The indomitable Dennis. I'm still there. Fairfield, the home of the Jelly Belly Jelly Bean Factory. Woohoo! Wait, I thought the Jelly Belly Bean Factory was in Wisconsin. There's one in Indiana. Wisconsin. Oh, well. I visited it across the border. One of my clients, it, it, that's one of their customers. Really? Yeah. Right across the East Curtain? Yeah. <laughs> Multiple. Oh, no so I, I would call this banter. Oh, stop it. it. <laughs> okay. And we have a good reason for having these guys on. They've got a story to tell. A story to tell, ladies and gentlemen, that will curl your toes. So turn the lights down. Yeah. Settle back in your chair. And get a big glass of vodka, because why not? <laughs> and so, you guys had met up at Aslock, is that correct? Correct. I think I kind of sat in. Rich and Bob were playing a big monster scenario, Shell Fortress South, and I kind of just sat down to gawk, and we got to chatting, and poor Rich got pasted. So, mm. we're having beers at the bar after his the bad experience with artillery, so we got to talk. And I think we played... Time on target, one of the, like right before you left. Yeah, we were talking a couple of years ago now, and I and I, I went, I did share with the, the two half squads on one of the programs about a year ago, my experience with Banizek in that scenario that you observed with all uh, the heartbreaking ending right. and all the crazy stuff that happened where I got the smoke and then the rain came and blew the smoke away and I was a sitting duck in front of his, uh, you know, all of his uh, good, you know, heroes and 10 negative two leaders and OBA of 36 firepower and the whole, the whole shooting match. And, and you can verify now because these guys didn't believe me. Did I or did I not lose like 28 squads in I've, that particular event? I've seen it. It was brutal. Sorry, didn't mean to reopen that old wound there. I was just giving the backstory. <laughs> well, Rich, if you need... It was brutal. If you need some victories, you can always play Jeff. Yeah, well, that's not uh, that's turned into quite a ordeal lately too. He's beaten me too straight, Dave. I am admitting to you, and uh, and he beat me on the attack. He beat me on the defense. I don't know which end is up. My kung fu is strong. <laughs> well, <laughs> and he beat me last time we played. So I'd like you to stop teaching him the game. Yes, and Dave wow. even Dave even said when he came over, uh, he said, "Have you played lately?" And I said, "I played Rich last week." And he said, "How'd it go?" I said, "Well, I I won." And he said, "Okay, well, I'm gonna." Pull out all the stops and really try to. <laughs> I'm not going to hold back. I did say. And yet uh, he did not win. But I, I think, just. Uh, I think that was a tough scenario. It is. We'll, we'll talk about that one. Yeah, later. we'll talk about that. Tonight's one later. all about. It's all about you, you guys, guys and and what happened. So tell so us how year. how you came up with this idea and how you guys, how you guys met. And maybe a little about, you know, your early life together. No. no. Just go right into the ASL yeah. OTO. Tell, tell us what happened on this thing. Dennis, well, why don't well, you start? Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Dennis. Go ahead. So, yeah, we talked at the previous ASLOC and played one brief and then stayed in touch. So we were talking about playing that one again, and I wasn't really up for it. So Rich suggested Onslaught to Orsha, which I've had on the shelf collecting dust for many years and thought, perfect. A big heavy-duty East Front slugfest with lots of toys and handfuls of encounters. So we finally narrowed it down to the scenario OTO5, Another Bloody Morning. And we spent most of the summer going back and forth about questions this and rules that and, and set up this. I had, and it was had worth he, the time spent. I'd, 
Had either like of you to, played that before? Any of it? Not I. I not never. Yeah, I never have. Oh, okay. really? Now, this is a very big scenario that takes a long time to prepare for and a long time to play. Right. I was going to say, I would encourage anyone who's considering it, do the homework, don't till last lot, because it took us many hours. There's some random pre-set up stuff with shell holes and a lot of questions and back and forth, like about the cupolas, machine gun cupolas, however it's pronounced. And Cupola. pay attention to the Cupola. orchard special rules. The lines of sight were a stinker. Mm. And someone, I won't mention any names, but he misunderstood the rail line as being flat, and it's actually half-level embankment, so it kind of splits the thing in half. Mm. Oh, yeah. Now, I, Rich mentioned that to me because he showed me the map when I was over at his house one day, and uh, I was really intrigued by that. But when you say somebody who won't be mentioned, are you saying Rich didn't realize that that, that was uh, <laughs> No, that was me. I, oh, that um, was you. Rich doesn't. Rich doesn't miss a thing. He's sharp as a tack. You're like, oh, I read that six years ago, yeah. and let me tell about all the special rules. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. So, Dennis, when did you come to that realization? Like, when you got to Aslock? Like, oh, my gosh, that's a half um, level. Listening to the podcast, like episode 50, and then meeting him in person at Aslock 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah, we were kind of friends also because we're both uh, fans of your, of your podcast program here, and we... Uh, you know, when we were at Aslock, naturally we talked about your program quite a bit and how much we like it, and so we, we hit it off as far as that goes, too. Well, nice, kind of, yeah, that's... So, Dennis, did you set up a defense or something, not understanding the railway line, too, or...? Not per se. I understood it made a big path down, so that in itself wasn't such a bad thing. In fact, it was good for the Germans, for me as a defender, having that wall, if you will, divided into east and west... But all right. okay. with all of the orchard special lines of sight, that really made it more complex. But I spent hours and hours planning this and planning that in a defense in depth. And one of the special rules, the Germans get this special minefield. It's one hex wide by eight hexes long. I have to put it here. They put it there. The Russian sets up here. They'll get first shot, but if I put it here... There's some other stuff about German vehicles can set up in a trench kind of thing. So I put a lot and a lot of time and effort into it. And it's a correct comment from Robert, but I think you did the same on the offense. It took you quite a time to, quite a bit of time to, to get it fine tuned, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, Jeff is my witness. He, you know, as he mentioned, he came over to my house one day when I had the map set up and I had your defense, you know, set up that you had given me the things I was able to see, and I was strategizing to death trying to figure out the best way to attack it. And you remember, Jeff, I was pondering, should I go left or should I go right? And, you know, because, of course, I didn't know where that belt line of mines was, which is pretty powerful right. and pretty significant. And then you got to get so many points, and you were very cleverly set up in such a strategic way that I really couldn't get the points I need needed without going through the teeth of your defense and having also to cross over to both sides to get the points required because you split them up in such a way that made it, you know, about as difficult. So I could tell you put thought into it because no matter what I thought about, middle, left, right, throwing smoke, not throwing smoke, no matter what I thought of, nothing seemed to work. Nothing seemed to seem to be, there was always some drawback to it. Yeah, I guess you, you touched on three points. You had a choice there, Rich, of going left and then sweeping to the right or going right and sweeping to the left or dividing yourself, uh, dividing your forces and trying to go on either side of the rail line, but which way did you finally go? Well, we'll get into that. I did, uh, yeah. I did go left. Okay, you did. Left from okay. the Russian point of view. Okay. But we'll, we'll get into the map, and uh, yeah. by the way, let's, let's talk about the fact that um, Dennis and I both recommend to the listeners here that we did post the scenario card, and we'll talk about that in a minute as far as the order of battle. Oh, good. And then we, we, we posted uh, and gave to Dave and Jeff uh, five pictures of the map at different stages of the game. And we'll be referring to those, and I think people that are able to look at those pictures and look at the order of battle will probably get a lot more out of it, uh, you know, as we describe the situation. So how do you want to proceed so, now? So, Dennis, you want to kick off with your strategy and your order of battle and what you were thinking? Yeah, so back up to the, the objectives. The Russians had to get 10 or more victory points, which awarded for control of four hexes, and there are also some machine gun cupolas, cupolas. Cupola, I think, is correct. Cupola. And some pillboxes. So 
I was thinking of concentric circles, basically. The weakest troops in front, the next strongest, and then have rally points. And the strong point in the middle, if you look at the picture where the railroad track gets the woods there, had the 88 on the tracks. So a defense in depth. The mines were on the German right, because so I was trying to psych them out, think the mines were on the left. Oh, there's no way they could be on the right. And then random mines, well, because I think he would go up through the trenches. And I thought for sure, Rich, you're going to set up on that little hillock in the Russian setup area. And you only set up a handful there. So, and again, not understanding the orchard rules didn't get to do what they were supposed to because they could. So basically, I put a bunker by each of the building victory points along with one of the couples. I tried to spread everything out and at the same time have a, a stepped or a tiered defense in depth. So in short, that's that's what I had in mind. Okay. And I think... And did you have to, about, uh, once you had your setup figured out, then uh, you sent it to Rich, at least as much as he could see. Is that right? Correct. We used... Well, Vassal is a good tool because I could print a button and it would print out a text file of the hex is, what's here, what's there. So we had to go back and forth a couple times. There's some clarifications and some questions. So yeah, there were five or six iterations before we got to the official German setup is complete. Mm -hmm. And we took that and took us all summer to do that. But it was worth the time spent because I would hate to have to had burn that time at Aslock rather than just sit down and set up and play. Right. So, this is sort of a habit I've gotten into, which uh, which is a good habit, and I think it's, it's, it's at least I enjoy it. It's it's uh, at Aslock, you know, since you can play anything you want, and you can be in tournaments or not be in tournaments. I look at that as a time to play, like you know, two day long scenarios that you know require a lot of preparation time and a lot of playing time. But I don't want to waste time at Aslock reading rules and you know set you know waiting for somebody to set up for two hours. I'd rather, you know, have that all ready to go. So I, like, like Dennis said, it was fun. But to me, that's part of the fun is planning a strategy and thinking about it really hard and then being able to deploy your strategy, you know, face-to-face -face when you finally get together and see how it works out. That's kind of fun. At least I enjoy that. And so, uh, you know, like, but some of the tricky rules, it's not that tricky, but, you know, it's always better to, to research them. For example, if you look at picture number one or photo one, mm -hmm. you'll, see, you'll see that... Uh, some of the orchards are just regular orchards, and some of the orchards are shell hole orchards. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, so what's special about that? Yeah. So, well, first of all, the shell hole orchards, you know, have the usual uh, protection if the infantry spends the extra movement factor, just like any, any shell hole would, but that, that doesn't make them that tricky. What makes them tricky is, for line of sight, the non-shell hole orchards, the ordinary orchards, are in season, but the... Oh. Several orchards are considered out of season, like the weeds like the have been blown off the trees, yeah, you know, for example. Yes. Probably what, what that simulates. Yeah. So you can see through those, but you can't see through, you know, well, I mean, if you're ground level, you can see through all of them as right. right. But when you're at level one, you know, the in season orchards obviously block line of sight, you know, to other things. So, and then the other tricky thing is there's a lot of, like, that railroad line that you see going right down the middle of the map that we talked about. Yeah. That's like a, like a one-half-level hillock or a one-half-level wall, however you want to think about it. And so if you're at that one-half level, the onslaught to orchard rules say that you cannot see through. It's, it's, it's as if you're at, like, level one, kind of. You can't see through the in-season orchard. Orchards, oh, okay. So, so you, kind of like blind hexes behind it. Yeah, there's real limitations to line of sight if you're on top of that railway railway road. So if you notice in the upper left-hand corner of photo one, he's got, uh, Dennis has one of his powerful 88-millimeter tanks, I think that was, and it's on top of a trench, but it's actually in a trench. We just put it on top for convenience uh -huh. so we can see what it is, but you can see the trench counter underneath. And the advantage he gets by putting his stuff in trenches this is AFEs and trenches that the special rules allow. Is you uh, hold down and it's automatically small. So those those AFEs are actually large in real life. They have the red oh, right. size marker on them. But he gets to consider them as small sure. and get the protection of the trench as well to make it hold down. Because you're just seeing the turret. Pretty yeah. tough to get. Uh, so and they're also allowed to leave the trench, unlike the normal ASL rules. That once the AFEs in a trench, it cannot leave. And on Slot Orsha, it actually can leave in reverse 
by spending so many Lubin points. I don't remember what it is, but it actually can leave if need be. Cool. I think it was half, half moving points. The other thing I want to point out on this photo one is you see, uh, like the little red stars, the, there's four, there's four of those on the map that I think you can see. Those represent the victory locations. They're actually one hex behind the victory locations for convenience. And those are two points apiece. Oh, are they printed on the map? No, they're little red star counters that we placed. Okay. Well, they're also printed on the map, but not all of them, not all the ones on the map counted for this scenario. Right, okay. So just the ones that I put the counter by. So there's four of those, so that's eight points. Four times two is eight. And then the, each pillbox is worth one point, and there's five of those, and each uh, armored uh, copula is worth one point, so those are, and there's three of those. So if you do the math, that's a total of uh, 16 points total, eight plus eight, and then the victory conditions, like, like Dennis said, you have, the Russian has to capture 10 or destroy 10 uh, of those 16 points. Okay. So Dennis, you want to talk about your order of battle and talk about your setup strategy? A few more thoughts there. I learned a lot. I spent a lot of time with the rules, like you said, because there's everything here. Air support, bunkers, flat half tracks, big mortars, 20 trenches, 5 AT ditches. So one of the things I did, I took the OOB given mines and added them basically along that 8 hex long just to kind of befuddle my opponent. And I spent a lot of time with the bunkers. For example, if you put them on a trench, they become pillboxes, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I wanted everything to interlock. Fields of fire, have infantry protecting the guns. I wanted to make Rich come to me so I didn't set up too much where he could just sit back and blast away. Also, looking at the map, not a whole lot of, of fields of fire. They all, Most of them parallel the rail, the roads, the gaps through the wheat fields. So that was tough, figuring out the lines of sight, especially with, my, with the radio for the OOB. Basically, I had to put them pretty much forward where that red um, artillery request counter is. I thought, well, hopefully they'll get off a couple of shots. Because in the back, he couldn't see very much. So again, defense in depth, interlock everything. And also, I have learned this lesson the hard way. So I figured he'd go left or he'd go right. I wanted to be able to shift, shift the guys on the flank that did not get attacked uh-huh. to be able to cover or help out. So that was had all those balls to balance, and I, I think I did a pretty good job. Like you said, it's been a lot, a lot of time. But it's fun leading up on what happens if you put wire and a bunker and a trench and a gun all in the same hex. Mm, yeah. They had the trenches, for example, so that you could route guys in and out of the bunker without being seen, so you could rally them and, and mix the guys up. And you can rally, like if you put a trench... Next to a gully, you can get guys from the gully into the trench and back in the, the bunker. So without being, I learned seen. a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And this, the core of the center were the assault engineers, a leader for rally, machine guns, just kind of a the fallback position. So that's, in summary, my defense in depth. All right, Rich, what did you do to plan it, the attack? It's too bad them? you couldn't put a trench across that railroad. I cut through it. Yeah, because uh, obviously every time, if if you did need to sweep from one side to the other, you've got to go up that half level to get your guys over the railroad. True. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Rich, two of the railroad tracks have trenches on them, and one could put a foxhole or trench only in the railroad hexes that have the trench. Oh, so that's wow. one reason I put the trench there with the 88 is kind of... Oh, in the middle. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. And also in the woods, I think there's one too. So you touched on a great point. It would have been nice to have more, but I think that was enough to do the trick. What do you know? At least (laughs) in theory. Yeah, so again, the special rules allow you to put trenches on the railroads. Normally you can't do that, but the special rules allow you to do that in this scenario. So we Uh weren't, if someone is a rules aficionado, they're like, hey, you can't do that. Well, you're right, but in this SSR, you can't. All right, so my, my thoughts were, if you're done, Dennis, you're done? Yeah, go for it. So I had just a, just a ton of squads. I mean, I'm just looking at the scenario card here. Let's see, I had five, 20, like 36 squads, 13 228 crews. Did I have any 127 crews as well? I thought I did. Maybe not. Maybe that was you that had the extra. Yeah, you're the one that had the 127 crews, not me. 
you know, I had you know a, a ton of machine guns. I had one flamethrower, five demo chargers, a bunch of guns, a whole bunch of AFEs. That I had two uh, flame throwing tanks. I had two uh, mine clearing tanks, which is a special uh, a special flat uh, orsha feature. So I, I researched the depth. You know, how do you use these mine clearing tanks? Because he just got a ton of minefields in the OB in his OB, and he's got that belt of of minefields of eight hexes long that are eight firepower AP and three AT. You know, that he put you know across somewhere. So I knew that I'd more than likely need my mine clearing tanks, and I wanted to be careful with those. And of course, the, the flame throwing tanks are super important because you know those are very powerful, and you got to keep those in the game. Oh yeah. So one thing I want to point out again, still on photo one, this is super important, and you'll see why in a few minutes. Look at towards the back of his setup. He's got that very important 88L anti-tank gun on the railroad track towards the back. And beside it is that fortified location building right mm -hmm. next to it. You see that? Yes. So keep your eye on that. That's going to become a very key location uh, as we move along here towards uh, a few turns down the road. But that we're going to refer to that a lot, right? How are we done with this? Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that becomes pretty pretty key. The other thing I want to point out on again map or photo number one is on the far right side. Just in case you're wondering, you see I got that little pink sticker. Mm -hmm. On the right side, and also a little yellow sticker. Yeah, like is that entrance points? Yeah, those are little colorful post-it notes. Those are my old, those are my offboard observers. I oh. have two offboard observers, so just to make life easy and not have, I mean, theoretically they're supposed to be a secret, and my opponent's not supposed to know, but I didn't want to bother with that. I wanted because you've got to measure line of sight all the time. Yeah, and they're not under threat, really, are they? No, they're not, and I, I didn't, it didn't matter to me if he knew where they were. It was more of a convenience to me to just be able to easily measure line of sight with a thread without saying, that's yeah, turn away for the 37th time. Yeah. So I just put them out there, and it also helped me because I could put an A next to one and a B next to the other and, you know, keep track of the different OBA draw piles that way. And you see I have my little A and B OBA SRs also on that one, you know, in the locations I was aiming at. So... So I, I admit, admitted to Dennis that I had practiced this scenario when I played it once over the summer with a friend here in the Chicago area. And that friend put his mind belt on, from the Russian point of view, on the right. So I was very influenced by that, I must admit, because I just felt like, based on his setup, on Dennis's setup, that he probably also did that. So I decided I'm going to attack on the left-hand side from the Russian perspective again uh, of the of the railroad track because again I also you know it was, it was a combination of the work before against the opponent I practiced with because he put the minefield on the other side and just because it seemed like you know, as Dennis himself admitted he made it seem that the belt was probably on the right-hand side and so I figured going left I would avoid it. Of course I ran right into it, which we'll talk about in a minute because he didn't put it on the right; he put it on the left. From, from my point of view, you know, from his point of view, the opposite. So uh, you can see I set up a ton of guys on the right. You see the AFVs, you see the infantry. And so one area where I deserve a tiny bit of credit, if you'll give me a tiny bit of credit, is if you look in the upper right-hand corner on that hill, on that little level one hill that Dennis was referring to a few minutes ago, what I put there was, you know, all I put was two squads, two 447 squads, I think they were in a shell hole, and uh, not a shovel, a, uh, a pothole. And they each were carrying two little 45-millimeter mortars because they could shoot, you know, two of those. And their whole purpose was to stay out of line of sight of all that infantry that's in front of them and just basically sit there all day and then aim all the way across the board at that uh, AFE we were talking about a few minutes ago that's uh, underneath the trench. So that one of the rules is uh, when you're when you have an AFE in a trench and it's non-turreted, which that thing is, it's non-turreted, it can't change its cover up. So he couldn't shoot at me if you look at the way that's placed, but I could shoot at him. Now to hit it was very difficult because those are low millimeter mortars. The two-bit number of that long of a range is very low. I can't remember what it is. It's like a five or a four or something. Plus he's considered small. We just got done talking about so that makes it even harder to hit. And um, it's in a trench. So the way the rules work is it's not considered hold down to indirect fire, so the hold down benefit did not help him. But the 
effects is, is affected by plus two because of being in the trench. And so, but, but it, it, has, it has two minus modifiers too because it's open top and its uh, armor factors are all four or less. So the minus two for those effects and the plus two for the trench cancel. So basically, I was just figuring that if I just rolled all day long, I was bound to get hit eventually because they have rate of fire of three, and there's four of them. And then I figured I'd get like a two or three on the effects eventually, and those things had nothing else to do. So I figured, okay, I'll just throw them over there, and I'll just plank away all day, and eventually I'll get lucky. So that did eventually, I think, pay off. In the dentist, I think it took like turn three after shooting at it like 30 times. I figured they could either sit up on the hill all day and rot or take a chance and back out and try to drive away. And as soon as they came out, they take a while, but you got it. Yeah, as soon as you come out, you're big, you're not small anymore, and you're not in the trench. And like so I, said, was, I was kind of hoping you would do that. Yeah, that makes the two kill even easier. So I think, yeah, when you try to get out is when I think it got it. But anyway, so that was one strategy that I'll give myself two points for. But uh, other than that, my strategy was terrible. I ran directly into his minefield. You can't see the minefield. Can you describe on this photo one where the minefield is? Yeah, where's uh, that located? Basically, it's on the Russian right. I'm looking at photo one. There's the two pictures of the spotting rounds. So basically, going to the right, there's a German concealment counter by the anti-tank ditches. The mine belt started adjacent to the anti-tank ditch, the furthest one out there. And ran along that spine in a horizontal, contiguous, adjacent position, basically to the orchards and the railroad track. Okay. And so when I ran into it, and not only that, then tell me if I'm wrong, you didn't just have the apexes in a row, you also extended it by using the minefields in your order of battle by making it even longer and, and then eight. I did, but you figured that out quickly because the, the six minefields I placed didn't match the factors in the belt, but... It did, I think, through for a little while, but you, you puzzled it out. Yeah, I think that's where I got lucky. The minefield I happened to hit first was not one of the 8 Firepower 3 ATs. It was one of the adjacent 2 ATs, and uh, I can't yes, remember how much yes, AT you had in there. Yeah. And so that was actually you know, slightly less painful, and I got lucky because my <laughs> AFV that happened to hit that minefield, uh, Dennis did not roll a 2 or less on the entry and he didn't roll two or less on the exit, so that created a trail break through that minefield, and that was just pure luck on my part, but then yeah, I could avoid the whole thing by just shooting all the other tanks through that trail break. It's true, that was the first big crack in the dam there. But the infantry still had to, you know, very, you know, move through the trail break as well, but then that took forever to move out any squads through one place, but it was worth it, in my opinion, to go slow and not get hit with the minefield. Right, tell it what you did to clear the minefield or the, the wire on the road there with the demolition charges. That was impressive. You were telling me about oh, yeah, well, thank that you. trick. Yeah, he had a whole bunch. Of, you can't really see it now on this picture one, but towards, uh, I mean, you can see a lot of the wire there. He's got kind of in the middle of the map. And uh, you see the wire right in the middle of the road there that's blocking the road. Uh, there, I can't remember exactly how I did it, but I had these five demolition charges. I don't know, and I wanted to use them, and I must admit I was influenced by Tarawa, where at Tarawa you just got a, you just got a boatload of, of demolition charges, and Jeff and I played that a couple couple summers ago, and you just got this, just a ton of demo charges, and, and you just got so many of them that you end up just using them for things like removing wire and hoping that you get a five or less. So I tried that trick, and I think I placed three or four of my five demolition charges on the wire, and sure enough, one of them did get a five or less, yeah, and it was worth it to me. Nice. Yeah, so that uh, I figured that was a good use of the demo charges. I mean, maybe you're supposed to use them for other stuff, but I didn't figure I was going to get too close to them to use them for traditional purposes with, you know, this wide-open scenario, so I figured I'd use them and get, get going through the wire, and that, that helped me a little bit. Awesome. And I was very protective of my flame-throwing tanks and my mine-clearing tanks, so I had those kind of in the back. You can't quite see, but just take my word for it. But I, uh, those I did not want to expose to fire. So another thought I had was, and again, this was from my play with Mike Stubitz, uh, the guy I played with prior to this from practice. He had done, he had a very different setup than Dennis. Dennis's was much better, much tougher. But the one, the one thing they had in common was that they did put some of their guns, some of their anti-tank killing guns, in pillboxes. And, you know, I'm starting to wonder, if I were to play this on the defense, 
I'm thinking I would not put them in pillboxes. I might put them in the pillbox hex in a trench, but I don't put. I don't think I put them in the pillbox because limits they, you know fire. you can't spin. Yeah. And so since you can't spin and change your covered arc in a pillbox, <laughs> I felt that if I could just get, if you look at those two pillboxes there that are sort of each facing at 45 degree angles to each other towards the center. I figured if I could just get to that one hex that's in between both of their covered arcs and play smoke to allow me to do that and block his, his vision a little bit, if I could just get there, then I'm in business. Because then, uh, you know, he can't turn the guns and I could just sort of take my time and eventually get him with either the infantry or something else. But of course, you see again that 88L tank in the background there that can just blow anything away. That stop, so that's a great theory. And then he's got also that 75-millimeter, 75 75L uh, Stug that's on that little uh, little hillock in the back that can also, you know, kill my armor. So, and I can't block everything with smoke. So that's why I was saying earlier that no matter what I could think of and no matter what I did, it would work in one instance and then not work in the other. So I didn't know what to do. I mean, you know, obviously, you're going to have to sacrifice something. But anyway, so that was a theory that if I could just get in between those pillboxes, and out of the covered arcs, that would at least be somewhat helpful. So, observation you a, yeah, go ahead. Let's quick skip into the, the post-game show. We realized that as far as the 88 on the railroad tracks, since Russians get first shot, Rich made more sense to put the two Russian 50 calibers with the 10-2 leader on the railroad track, and that way, right off the bat, you could probably take off take out the 88 and the crew. So. Oh, right. If you're setting up as the Germans, be aware of the Rus fact the Russians are getting the first shot, and that 88 on the tracks there is probably a sitting duck. Okay, cool. I don't, I don't think I did that. Yeah, I, I didn't do that, though, did I? I don't no, see you smoke you on it. you set your kill yeah. stacks up on the hill, but when you're doing the post-game show, we both kind of realized, hey, it would have made more sense. Turns out it wouldn't have mattered anyway, because <clears throat> fate... Had it in for that 88 crew, that's for sure. Oh. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. So um, that was map number one, or picture number one. Let's move on to picture number two and yeah, see what two. that informs okay. us. So in picture number two, you see my two spotting rounds that are getting ready to blow smoke. Well, another thing I should mention, I had two pre-registered hexes in this uh, scenario, and I chose to put them on the right-hand side because I was really thinking I was going to be attacking on the right. That was my initial thought. So, so again, I uh, made a very bad decision. I basically ignored my two pre-registered axes and didn't use them at all and went, you know, as I indicated earlier, I, I really thought I was making the right decision by going up the uh, left-hand side because I didn't think his mind was there, but it actually was. Uh, but anyway, so just, just to let you know, that's why I have spotting rounds there that took a while, you know, took the traditional amount of, you know, turns to place a spotting round and then drop smoke. But you can see what I'm trying to do there. I'm trying to drop smoke in, from his, in front of his pillboxes. Yeah. I'm trying to drop smoke in front of those other uh, guns. Tanks in the back. Or... Then I'm going to try to get out of his, try to at least charge the tanks to the best of my ability to get behind or outside of the covered arcs of those things. That was my reasoning. So then if we look at picture three. Mm-hmm. Let's see, picture three. I guess that's just a little bit further along where you can see I've actually made some progress. Toward the uh, wire in the trench or the gully. Mm -hmm. You also see I'm inching my way up towards those anti-tank ditches uh, on that side as well. But you can see the turn track says turn one. So, so uh, okay. you know, working its way forward. Yeah. All right, so that's picture number three. So let's move on to picture four. Move right along. This looks like it is also a turn one thing. Maybe uh, there's certainly stuff going on because we've got prep fires and other things going, but maybe it's similar. So we should perhaps talk now about the 88-millimeter uh, gun and what happened. Also, your OBA we should talk about, too. Dennis, why don't you talk about that? Okay, my therapist said this would be good for me, so yeah. <laughs> here it goes. So I was all excited because Germans have OBA, the Russians have air support, fighter bombers with bombs and rockets, so I thought, okay, the 88, I can use it as a flat gun and also make the Russians come to me. So I had 120 millimeter artillery. Mm. Long story short, 
somebody drew two red cards in a row. Oh, Never drew the second oh, red one, no. which kind of put the deck to the side. It's like, hey, what are you doing? And so then it dawned on me, he's like, oh, no, that was not part of the plan. Oh, well, yeah, lose just, some, lose some. Press yeah, just, to add in, just to add insult to injury, we had agreed, Dennis and I, that we were going to do that special rule that I think we talked about on your yeah, program yeah, okay. before, where if somebody rolls a 12 or the other guy gets a lucky two, we, we pass back and forth this little chip. Right. What were we using? We were using the, the, the red cup or something? Yeah, the, oh, red, we're, we're, the red one. Yeah, that little red cup that you probably saw in some of the pictures, we were using that as sort of the, uh, the signal or the, the chip marker, so to speak, where, like, let's say I have it, and if I roll a 12 on something that I really don't want to roll a 12 on or some bad roll that's important to me, I can take advantage and pass the initiative thing to him, and then I can re-roll that roll. Or, conversely, I could make him re-roll a roll that was really lucky for him. You know, whatever. It's my initiative if I have it, and then it's then the portion passes to him to do the same to me if, if he chooses. Yeah, I love that. So we were playing with that rule. But it did not pertain to drawing red cards yeah, that's in the too, OBA. that's too bad. You know, that brings up a good point. You should almost expand it to include that. Because that's brutal. It's yeah. brutal. Because that can happen, and Again, then we've it's, talked. It's almost like you just want to pack the game up. Then yeah, we've done. talked about having people should put in those scenario special rules that if you pull the second red, it gets at least uh, one or two more rounds off before it goes away. Yeah, well, a lot of people at Adlock play with what's called the C Cleva OBA rule mm-hmm. that uh, is talked a lot about there, which is once you've drawn the second red card instead of everything being over with. The rule, his rule is you put the red card back, you put in a bonus red card, but then you just keep on going. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I like that. And so every time you draw a red card thereafter, you put it back, you add another red card, and you just keep on trucking. Yeah. yeah. So if we would have done that, he started with eight black and three red, which is the, you know, the standard German card draw. His first draw was red, as I indicated, so now he's down to eight black and two red. And then his second card, you know, was a red, and we weren't playing with that special rule. We should have been. But if we would have, then he would have gone back to eight black and three red, right? Because he would have gotten the second red back, and he would have gotten the bonus red. He would have been back to where he started, which isn't so bad. And that's what we should have done, Dennis, but we would have been the best thing, but not the bad. Yeah. But hey, I wonder, what are the odds of red cards in a row? Yeah, I did that calculation, so I have it fresh in my fingertips. <laughs> but the odds of drawing two red cards in a row with an 8-black, 3-red, and then an 8-black, 2-red. Uh, if you do the math, which I've done, it's uh, 5.45%, or 1 in 18.3 times. So it's about a 95% chance that that won't happen. See, I, I came up with 1 out of 11 when I did the math, but I'm not very good at math. Yeah, same here. So that's, uh, no, that's, that's fairly, you know, bad or lucky for me, unlucky for him, like about one in, one in 18. So, uh, but there's another crazy, crazy series of rules coming up that are way higher than that that'll, I think, blow most guys' minds. Yeah, what was they, next? Hear yeah. What actually, and this really happened. I can't believe it happened. This picture. So it has to do with that 88L gun that we were talking about. Well, yes, why don't we, uh, let's, let's pause here for just a second. Oh, Jeff, Jeff, are you ready to go to Mayhem in Manila? I sure am, Dave. I've got my bags packed, I've got my passport, and my hat. Do you have your OBA cards? No, I don't. How would I get some? Why, you'd have to go to Ritterkrieg and order some. Ritterkrieg? I don't know anything about it. Tell me. Well, this is the great online store of ASL equipment. ASL wooden gaming products like dice towers, custom-made tabletops, an ammo box map and map case, and all kinds of ASL products. You can order yours today and have it shipped to Mayhem in Manila. I wow. I'm going to get all that stuff. I know what I'll do. I'll tell my wife I can't afford to take her, but I'll take all my Ritter stuff with me. But Jeff, you might be able to take her because... A donor has donated our air flight <laughs> to Asia. Sweet. All right, then this is the best thing that could happen. I can take my wife, I can take all my Ritter Creek equipment, and we're going to Mayhem, Mayhem in, in Manila. Manila. And 
these OBA cards aren't the crappy kind that we sold on our podcast. No. These are those really cool quality ASL OBA cards. It's a gigantic deck of cards that it, you can use for all of your OBA requirements. All of your OBA requirements. And do you know what makes ordering from Ritter Krieg the best option for any pre-orders? Tell me. They have free shipping. <gasps> Impossible. Take that, MMP. Well, that's a beautiful thing. So, how do we get to uh, order this Ritter Krieg stuff? Well, you simply go to Ritterkrieg.com. R-I-T-T-E-R-K-R-I-E-G.com. I'm heading there right now. See you in Manila, Dave. See you in Manila. Okay, I'm back. All right, back with a vengeance. All right, so the other really crazy thing that happened, I mean, drawing two red cards is, you know, it happens. It's, again, like we talked about, it's 1 in 18. It's The odds are against it, but it's not astronomical. So the really important thing is, again, I was trying to get in between those two pillboxes and get out of their covered arc, as I mentioned. But I knew I'd be running into that 88-millimeter gun that has a to-kill of, like, I can't remember what it is now, 27 or some huge number that's going to destroy almost all my tanks. And so, uh, you know, I was worried about that. I'm like, well, that's, you know, only half a strategy. And then I don't know how I'd contend with that thing. But I knew that when I confronted it, I wanted to confront it with a whole bunch of tanks, including the flamethrowing ones that could, you know, try to get it right away. And I might lose a tank or two, but I figured that's the sacrifice I'd have to make. Well, sure enough, my sniper, if you look at photo four, photo four doesn't quite show it, but let's talk about it, and it shows what we need to, I think. Photo four is probably uh, kind of after it happened, but that photo four shows my sniper actually broke his 228 that was manning that gun, which was, again, super lucky on my part. Yeah. And he, and he routed the 228 to that adjacent fortified building hex so that it could get the rally terrain bonus and self-rally itself and still be, you know, ready to go. And then he also was very smart. You see that little anti-aircraft gun, a little uh, about five or six hexes away, mm-hmm. that, that wasn't, you know, terribly important. It only had like four or six firepower, and I wasn't even attacking on that side anyway. So, mm-hmm. so he abandoned that gun, and he double-timed that crew over. You can see it's marked CX right adjacent to that sniper. And so that was also smart because he really wanted to get that gun because he knew that that was going to become a very important piece. And I took a huge chance. You can see I moved three tanks, or four even, on the railroad, you know, kind of hoping to get a few shots in on that thing before he recovered it and get it acquired. And, and, uh, but that, that was probably dumb on my part, because I figured, okay, he's going to acquire that gun. He's just going to blow all three or four of those tanks away with rate of fire. And so, I don't know, I was getting carried away, and I probably shouldn't have done that, but I did it. And, um, you know, once I made the moves, I'm like, okay, well, i got to live with it now. So anyway, so he's that, so he, he did indeed. So, so here's what he did. And if I say this wrong, Dennis, just fix me. So he has the CX one, he has a CX crew and that was his turn. And he advanced in the advanced phase onto the gun, but he doesn't possess it yet. All right. So now it's my turn. And he of course tried to recover the gun in the rally phase and he's CX. So he has to add one. So he needed a four or less on one die. And I think he got a five. Yep. So we didn't get it. Oh. Okay. So now, now it's his turn, and his 228 rallied, self-rallied, and his 127 is still CX. He tries to recover it. He needs a four or less. He got a five again. Didn't recover it. Now it's the movement phase, his movement phase. Now his 127 is not, his 127 crew, the one he moved in, is not CX anymore. So now he needs a five or less with one die. He got a six. Oh no, no. Then he moved. Then he moved his two two eight. His two two eight self rally. So he moved his two two eight in in the movement phase. It's not CX. It needed to recover. It needs a five or less. He got a six. No. Wait. So, so that's like five so far failed attempts. Four. He had two fives and two sixes so far. Right. Okay. All right. So now I'm counting my lucky stars, thinking, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this is happening. But now he's got two non-CX crews, and it's coming up on my turn. (laughs) And he will have two chances to get a five or less, so I'm certain he's going to get it. That's right. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now it's my turn. Now, keep in mind, he got five, five when he needed four or less. 
Then he got six, six, needing five or less. Now he's got two crews in there, and it's my turn. He rolled six and six. Oh. I know. How can you not see an 88? It's 10 feet tall. It's on the middle of a railroad track in the middle of a field. <laughs> Everyone on the battlefield. How can you not see this thing? Yeah, that like, rule. That's true. <laughs> so I, I did the odds. I, ca- I calculated the odds of this. Yeah. I actually did it what are the odds of that happening? Huh? And I emailed it to Dennis. And this is, you know, like a month or two ago when we were talking about it. Anyway, so I want Dave and Jeff to just take a stab of what the odds are, like one in how many times is what I want you to put it in terms of. One out of what six. What are the odds of one in one Because it's a six-sided <laughs> dice, one out of six to roll a six twice. But I don't know mail. I'm going to say, of how many attempts did he make? Was it like six? Well, remember, the first, the, the first two he didn't need. The yeah. first two he needed a five. Right. Pardon me, he needed a four or less. Okay, I'm going to say 22,384. And what did Dave say? One, one out of six. Because <laughs> it's a six-sided <laughs> dice. It's a six-sided <laughs> dice, so it's always one out of six. Anyway, I calculated it to be one in 11,664 times. I think I was closer than you, Dave. A little bit, then. Yeah. And that's uh, 0.0086%. Yow. Dennis, you flew yeah. all the way to Cleveland for this brutality? It's a fact. I was wondering, because I, th- I was failing a personal morale check at that point. I thought, yeah. with these odds, I should go out and buy a couple lottery tickets. Yeah. And again, I uh, I felt like, you know, bad, doubly bad, because again, we had agreed on this, you know, re-roll thing, but we agreed that the re-rolls were for two dice things and not for cards and not for single die rolls. Right, right, okay. <laughs> and all the bad stuff happening to poor Dennis with the other things. So, now work with me here. Now, what would the odds of both being, say, blowing the OBA and making those six rolls in a row? Yeah, we calculated <laughs> that too in the spreadsheet, and Dennis and I exchanged that, those numbers, so take a stab Dave and Jeff of what are the odds of both of those things happening. Then that must be more than 11,000. I'm going to yeah. say two out of six. <laughs> Getting warmer. No, two out of twelve. No, Getting I, warmer. I'm I'm going to go back to my twenty-two thousand three hundred seventy-six. Okay, Dave. I'm going to go with Jeff's answer. All right, it's one in two hundred and thirteen thousand eight forty. Gad zooks. That is amazing. So, yeah, it's oh well, it's not one in a million, but it's getting there. Yeah, it's it's bad <laughs> enough. Wow. So then, now you threw in the towel, right, Dennis? Well, now, i, I, I got to tell you this. Now, if you look at photo number five, mm-hmm. now we're on the last photo here. Now you can see my tanks are past the uh, pillboxes and outside the covered arc. I don't have to worry about that gun anymore. Now he's rooting for my flamethrowing tanks to fry those crews. Yes. He's on my did, side now. Right. Because they that's deserve right. to die. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll agree with you there. He was cheering. He was cheering for my flamethrowing tanks to get those guys. Agreed. Man. I would have had them pull their pants down and just run out. Run run to the eastern front. Man, that was brutal. Yeah. So poor poor Dennis was so upset. He and I played just a small little dinky scenario the next day just to close things out. Uh, not on Slot to Worship, and, and tell tell the guys that it's what what you what you actually. This was hilarious. I thought that I don't think you liked it. Tell them what happened. It was kind of you're in that zone. You've been playing for days. Your brain is fried. Oh yeah. So basically, um, I had a quote dice cup, but it was more like a dice plastic, and I think it bothered Rich enough. He finally said, "Please get another glass," which I did. And I also went and got a cup of tea. So we're playing, we're chatting, kind of winding things down, and. So I rolled the dice, and instead of hearing ting, ding, ding, ting, ting, it sploosh. Like, oh, grabbed, that was embarrassing. He grabbed so, the teacup. Point of order, I rolled the dice into the teacup. Oh, you. So point of, <laughs> How very, so, very good of you. Rookie move on my part, A, having an open-topped cup on yeah. the game table, yeah. and yes. B, having within reach. So always have a closed-top beverage container just so... These things don't happen. Yeah, so. good thinking. After, after all poor Dennis went through, I was just laughing so hard. I felt so sorry for him, and yeah. the expression on his face was just priceless. It's you. Plus, tea is not cheap. You know, how you make the tea and the prices, you might say it's pretty steep. 
<laughs> that's bad. Well, how? how so many, anyway, that's how the many, long, that's the long and the short of it. Oh, we should talk about the. Uh, how many turns is this scenario you were playing? Eight. And it's how eight. many? How yeah, many eight. turns did you get through? Three. Okay. Dave's been paying three attention. Three and a half, four, something like that. Yeah, I think three and a half is about where we ended up. Uh, it took you how long? How many days were you on this? Two days? Oh four God, days? What? Day and a half? Well, we. Um, I'm trying to remember now. We uh, set up the night before. I think it right. took us uh, about ten hours to do those first three turns or so. Is that about right, Tennish? That sounds right. Yeah, I think. By evening, I was thinking the scenario should have been called the end of the beginning or something like that. Cause yeah. He broke through. He was flamethrowing this and overrunning that. And just, oh, man, it's like Rich, how many stomping tanks, these bugs left and right. How many tanks did you lose, Rich, in this game? Eight. Dave, aren't you paying attention? No, I missed that. Um, did I lose any? Two or three. No, it was <laughs> oh, he threw sorry. me some token tanks. <laughs> I could kind of. I must have, I must have lost. I must have lost one or two. I can't remember, but yeah. I, I know that. Yeah, sometimes it was, uh, going real well at that point. Sometimes when I'm beating Jeff real bad, I, I like to turn my tanks backward and drive them in. <laughs> yeah, backward. he backs them toward me, <laughs> so he gets some nice shots at the rear. <laughs> he still can't. So one one yeah. thing, one thing we open top. One thing we should talk about is that we uh, did a lot of research on the Russian air support. Yes. Because, again, in Onslaught to Russia, they got some cool things yeah. that they don't have in normal scenarios with rockets and bombs and stuff. And so we researched those rules, and so we were ready to use them, but we never got to the turn where they came on to play. So just for fun, we just wanted to you know, learn how the rules work and learn how deadly these things are. And they were fun and they were interesting, but like we were talking about earlier, they uh, – they really don't do that much damage. It's a lot of dice rolling, a lot of two-hit attempts, but not not a lot of results. No, that's too bad. Because it does look it's, like it would be, it would really be fun. Yeah, they have the counters. They have the special rules. It yeah. was, I mean, how often do you get to use all of these toys all at once? Yeah, yeah. it's pretty rare. No, that's too bad. How long oh, well, were you some... thinking it was going to take you to play this? If it, if you had played mm-hmm. it all the way through, I mean, were you prepared to go three full or four full days on this thing? No, it wouldn't take that long. No, we knew if we would have, I mean, you know, it was getting, we both were losing units. And so obviously it gets faster as you go. Yeah. And um, so I think, you know, we had that whole evening still that we could have played another turn or two. And then we had the whole next day reserved to play this, but we didn't because, you know, we, we wrapped it up and that's why we played that other little dinky scenario just for fun. Yeah, we, had no, we had, a, we had at least a, a day and a quarter remaining that we could have spent on it. You well, know, you leave that set up at Aslock, right? At yeah, that's table. nice about it. When you're done, you just leave your toys there and step away and they'll be there. No cats or children. Yeah, except you have, you, help. you have, when I'm there, I like to go around to those unguarded un, uh, games and I move all the pieces around a little bit. And see if the players notice the next day. Oh no, no! Don't even say stuff like that, Dave. That's breaking my heart. Brother's chest team. <laughs> you didn't think that was funny, Rich? He's diabolical. No, that would be that would be really painful. No, no, no! Don't do that. Bad, bad. Where did my martyr go? I thought it was. Yeah. I swear, yeah, yeah. I swear I didn't set my pillbox up back, facing backwards. <laughs> I would have just chalked it up to fatigue or old age or something. Yeah. Wait, I thought I was the Russians. <laughs> You're evil, Dave. If you do that, that's very evil to even think that. So, so any you, last? What would you do differently? Uh, yeah, last uh, strategy ideas for anyone yeah. that might play. All right, go ahead, Rich. Well, I actually do want to play this again, and I want to try it as the German and see. And so, I think I've already revealed one of my tactics. One of my tactics is I would not put those pillboxes, or I wouldn't put the guns in pillboxes. Yeah, leave them with. Uh, I'll put them in a trench, maybe in a pillbox hex. Because that still protects them from the OBA with plus four, and it lets them spend their covered arc any way they want. I might put infantry in the pillbox, but then if if they need to, you know, shoot outside of the covered arc, they could just very easily advance into the trench, no problem, and then have a freer covered arc that way. So that's one thought I have to remove that option from the Russian attack. But other than that, I really think Dennis's defense was very good and well. I mean, it, it, uh, no matter again, what I, no matter what I could think of, there was always a drawback to it. 
And I noticed, Rich, you did you. set up all in groups, you know, and, and the German had OBA. I'd always be a little leery of being that tightly packed together. Or... Well, a good German player has OBA, not that. <laughs> it's a fact. <laughs> Plus, there's just so much stuff out there. Like my big mortar in the back, you each had choices of targets. I mean, and it's not with the German OBA, I was thinking, do I throw a smoke down on there to limit the kill stacks? I was going to, truth be known, I was going to do harassing fire. Because that would get whatever, 12 hexes of 8 firepower attacks just to yeah. impede the advance. But there are just so many avenues of approach to cover and so many targets. It's It, it makes it seem very small. It's not right, Pickens. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I talked about how I found that trail break through one of the minefields, and I you know, just rushed everybody through there. Or I shouldn't say rushed. It took forever because I have so many tanks and so many squads, and only so many can go through. But if he would have had OBA, he obviously could have crushed that strategy by just simply throwing his OBA in that in the way, and it would have forced me to go through the minefield, which would have not been pleasant either. Right, right. But you do have the mine-clearing AFVs. You have two of them, and they have special rules, but the odds are pretty good to clear mines with those things, better than 50-50, depending upon how you do it. Those are German? I mean, a Russian mine-clearing tanks? Yeah, they're special. I've got the Russia counters. Oh, Okay. Because I can't think of them from the standard MMP stuff. Right, I don't think it's standard, but they British. have special rules. They're not that hard. They're, you know, maybe a page with the rules or less. But uh, anyway, you know, that would have caused me to have to expose those, and he would have shot those with the anti-tank guns. And so the Germans could definitely win this thing. It just, you know, he had phenomenal bad luck that we just got describing as, you know, one in thousands. If we started something, Rich, maybe there's the, like, because you had similar bad luck the year before, and I had it, so maybe there's like a... And that's like curse or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad it passed down to you and off of me. I'll say that. Okay. Well, hey, two half squads, buddy old pals yeah. of mine, who wants to play me next year? <laughs> no, we don't want to pick up that bad luck. That's too oh. far to go, even though it's only five hours for us. It's uh, uh, okay. too far to well, go for that kind of dread. I'll just talk, talk a newbie into it. Yeah. So to what you're saying, quick thought, what I would do differently is spend a lot of time with the map and the line of sight, the orchards, because the German AFEs can set up in the backfield if they set up in a trench. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I would do that. I think I'd push everybody forward because at first I thought I'd have great fields of fire, but it's not. So I would yeah. seriously reconsider like putting the Noshorn in the back, putting the, the Stug up in the field because couldn't really see a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, they could see over the grain fields, but I think I would you know, on Rich's idea, put something that could actually turn a turret or a gun and maybe put the vehicles up front because most of them are pretty lightly armored. So there you have it. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, um, anything else to add before we wrap the show up? Smoke, smoke, uh, smoke, and more smoke. Yes. That's absolutely. That's your middle name, Rich. I like to use it, and this is a scenario where you need to use it. Yeah. Oh, man, did he ever. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you. Great Appreciate report, that. and it's very well-timed because um, we are now officially sponsored by Bounding Fire Productions. That's right. Huzzah. Congratulations. Okay, guys. Well, uh, appreciate you taking the time, and we look forward to having you back again soon to hear more about uh, Dennis's bad luck. Yep. And we oh, likewise. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> and we thank you for all your contributions to the show throughout all the years. So. Yeah. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. All right. Do you guys know how to end with us here? We'll try. If we were to say uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Remember to roll low. And rally but well. Not, but not while you're playing, playing us. us. Yeah. Exactly. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye, everyone. Okay. Good night. Goodbye.